Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we're going to continue in our study in Romans today. And uh, chapter 8, we're in chapter 8, and we're just going to go slowly through this chapter because it's one of the great chapters in the Bible, and especially for the Christian life. And it explains some wonderful privileges that we have as believers and when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And, um, you know, when you study the Bible, there's several principles that you use to study the Bible. And one of them is called the law of correlation. In other words, you let Scripture interpret itself. So when you study a passage... You want to go to other passages to help you to understand what that passage means, especially if it's not completely clear. You use very clear passages to understand unclear passages. So that's what we're going to do today with Romans chapter eight. And we're just going to look at two verses uh, because the reason we're going to use other verses to understand it, it is so important that we grasp what these two verses say. I mean, it will set you free to understand and apply these two verses in your life. So we're going to start with verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 8. It says, therefore, meaning based on everything I've just got through saying back up in chapter 7, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Oh, that's a wonderful phrase right there. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a believer, this verse applies to you. And if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. It says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, capital S, so Holy Spirit, the law of the Holy Spirit of life set me free. It set me free from the law of sin and death. So you're under one or the other. You're under the law of sin and death, or you're under the law of freedom and the Holy Spirit. And what you do with Christ determines with which one you're under. The the time you and when you pray to receive Christ in your life, you crossed over from this to a life in the Holy Spirit. So this is one of the most important verses, I think, in the Christian life, and and that we should read, we should memorize, we should stay uh, stay in the depth of this in our heart, we should meditate on it, because it will set you free from a lot of misconceptions. So let's let's just begin with this word condemnation. What in the world does it mean? What what is that word? The, The best way to describe condemnation, I think, is to talk about how it makes you feel. And when, you, when we talk about how it makes you feel, that'll give you an understanding of what condemnation's all about. So here are three things that condemnation does to you. First of all, it makes you feel guilty. You know you did wrong. You know you got caught with your hand in the, in the uh, cookie drawer. And you know you feel guilty about it. So it's a feeling, you feel guilty. That's part of condemnation. Secondly, you feel fear. 
You feel fear of punishment. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not only guilty, but I'm going to be punished. Now, I don't know about you. When, when I was in elementary school, that was back in the day when they could still paddle kids at school. We didn't have any discipline problems. And our principal, I remember it well, her office was like in, right there in the hallway as you came in, and it was glass uh, all the way around her office so you could clearly see in her office. And there was a door in there, it was her closet, and the bigger kids told us little kids that the principal in her closet has an automatic paddler. She plugs it in and it automatically paddles you until there's blood. I mean, the older kids would tell us that. And of course, a sixth grader would not lie to a third grader, so we believed it, right? I mean, and there was a lot of fear and trembling whenever I walked by that office, like, I hope, I, I don't know if I'm doing anything wrong, I just hope I don't get caught. And, uh, and then whenever you walked by her office and you saw her and you saw a kid in there, and then you saw her get up and pull the blinds, you would just start praying for your own kind at that moment. <laughs> you know, like, oh man, she's gonna pull out that automatic paddle. Oh, this is horrible, this is so sad. And the whole school would grieve over that kid's demise. And, uh, but, but you know what? Out of fear, uh, you know, this feeling of fear, the fear of punishment, it kept us kind of in line quite a bit. Then the third feeling you have is a feeling of rejection. I blew it, I'm so dumb. I cannot do anything right. So you get an idea of what condemnation is based on those three feelings. Feeling of guilt, feeling of fear, feeling of rejection. Now the Bible says that God does not want Christians to live under those feelings. That's good news. I'm glad of that. In fact, when we looked, when we looked back in Romans chapter seven, you know, Paul talked a lot about his struggle. I mean, I'll just remind you of what he said. He said, all the things I want to do, I end up not doing them. And all the things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. I can relate to Paul, right? Can you relate to Paul? And then he said, I'm miserable. I'm wretched. Because I cannot make myself do what I want to do. I know what's right, but I cannot do it. And that's, that was his struggle. And at the end of Romans 7, he was saying, I'm a wretched person. So now Romans 8 deals with that previous chapter. And he's talking about a Christian who is struggling. So he's talking to most of us in this room. And if you're not struggling today, just give it a week. A lot of you on Thursday are going to be dealing with a whole different kind of struggle. You're going to be with family. And that brings its own, you know, demons. <laughs> so he's really struggling. He's saying, I'm a wretched guy. But he has great news for us. He said, a Christian who is struggling is not under condemnation. So what does that even mean? If I'm not under condemnation, what does that mean? Well, the question we gotta answer then is how does God 
respond to me when I do sin? Because I'm going to sin, right? You're going to sin. So if I'm not condemned, how does God respond to me? When a Christian sins, what happens? Now, I think it's absolutely crucial to understand this. And the reason is, is that if, if you don't, you're, if you don't understand this, here's what happens. You avoid God when you mess up, right? Have you done that? You messed up, you know you messed up. You avoid God. You don't wanna talk to him. You don't wanna be near him. You, you, you avoid church. You don't wanna do anything that's gonna make you feel guilty. And, and, um, and you find that it's hard to get close to him because you know you messed up. So here's what no condemnation means. It means a couple of things. And the more you understand this, the more you'll get rid of that fear. The fear and that causes you to avoid God. Number one, God does not reject me when I sin. If he did, we would all be rejected. God does not reject me when I sin. Now, the law of correlation. Here's what Jesus said. He says, however, those the Father has given me, so anybody who claims the, na the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, God has given you to Jesus. He says, those who the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. God will never reject you when you sin. Jesus made that a promise. So why is he not gonna reject you? Well, because his love is unconditional. His love is based on who he is, not who you are or what you've done. The reason he doesn't reject us is because our acceptance is not based on our performance. If it were, we're all dead. If our acceptance by God was based on our performance, we would have been done a long time ago. You will never be able to perform enough to accept, be accepted by God. But that's what Jesus did for you. And my acceptance, now listen to this, my acceptance is based on my position in Christ. <clears throat> it's based on Jesus and it's based on what he's done. So God does not reject you when you sin. Number two, God is not angry at me when I'm inconsistent. How often am I inconsistent? What day is this? What time is this? I, I mean, it's pretty often, right? Are you, are you inconsistent? Inconsistent with your quiet time, inconsistent in your prayer life, inconsistent in how you maybe treat people. We're, we deal with that. We struggle with that. God's not angry at me when I'm inconsistent. See, we get angry at ourselves. We, get, we become impatient with ourselves, but God doesn't. And here's a beautiful truth in scripture, and that is that God is patient with you. He understands that it takes time for you to grow. And when you are inconsistent, he does not condemn you. Listen to Psalms 103. As a father has compassion 
on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Not afraid of him. Big difference. But rather you have a holy fear, a righteous fear of an awe of him, but not afraid of him. Big difference between those two. For he knows that we were formed and he remembers that we are but dust. God remembers that. He knows that. He knows where you came from. And he knows you're going to be inconsistent. You know, when my children began to walk, you know, one of the big joys, excitement for you as a parent is the first time your kid walks. And so when I was teaching my kids, you know, like you teach them, but, you know, helping them to walk and, and you know, they're, they're going to fall flat on their face a couple of times. So what do you do? You pick them up and go put them in their bed and punish them for 30 minutes? No, you don't do that. You take away their favorite toy. You don't feed them that night. No, you don't do that. You pick them up, you dust them off and you say, okay, let's try again. And you keep doing it until they get it. Remember when you were teaching them how to talk and parents always got in a little competition of who he was going to say first, mommy or daddy. And uh, I won both times. <laughs> Just let you know. And you, you, you know, you, you, you work on them and helping them to understand words and uh, you, you, you're patient with them. God is even more patient with us. So God is not angry when I'm inconsistent. Number three, God does not, oh, this is, this is weird. This, is, that doesn't, this doesn't sound right. God does not punish me when I sin. Does that sound wrong to you? Well, understand what really happens. Why am I not punished? is because punishment is payment for a sin. Who took your punishment? Jesus did. 2,000 years ago, he took the punishment for every sin you have already committed and the sins you're going to commit. So he took your punishment. And on that basis, God does not punish you when you sin. The punishment's already been done. It's, it's a done deal. The Bible says that Jesus took all that punishment for all my sins so that I don't have to be punished. Romans 5.18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. So you used to have condemnation. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. So Jesus took away your condemnation. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Now, why am I making a big deal about this? 
You see, I believe that a reason why a lot of people cannot get close to God, cannot enjoy fellowship with God, and don't know why they don't love God, it's because they're afraid of God. And as a Christian, you do not have to be afraid of God anymore. Praise God. He's not out to punish you. Jesus already took your punishment. So if I'm not punished, and if I'm not condemned, what happens when I do sin? What happens when I do sin? I mean, if you're saved totally from all the things and, and God accepts me no matter what I do the rest of my life and I cannot lose my salvation um, and God's not angry at me anymore and he'll be patient with my inconsistence and he's going to love me regardless, so why be good? I mean, if it makes no difference, but it does make a big difference. It makes a big difference in your happiness. It makes a big difference in what God accomplishes through you. It does make a difference. <clears throat> so when I sin, first of all, it brings conviction from God. What that means is God makes me aware of my sin. That's conviction. God simply makes me aware of my sin. In John 16, 8, Jesus said, when he comes, then talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and, one of God's, and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict. And conviction means... God makes you aware of what you have done. And uh, one of the biggest problems I see in the Christian life is distinguishing between accusations of Satan and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Satan is the great accuser of the brethren, of the believers. And yet the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. So how do I know the difference? Well, here's, here's how you know. Satan tends to talk to us in general terms. When Satan is trying to accuse you, here's what you hear. You know, you really are lousy. You're, you're, just, you're never going to amount to anything. Why do you think God would even love somebody like you? You are such a big disappointment to God. Are you even sure you're saved? That, that, those are the kind of accusations that Satan will throw at you in general terms. But when the Holy Spirit convicts, it's very specific. So you're talking to somebody and maybe you say something you shouldn't say and the Holy Spirit says, Don, what you just said was very hurtful. You need to apologize. When you have your quiet time, your mind is always wandering. 
you, you really need to focus on what I want to teach you. You got to put away the distractions. You're easy, you allow yourself to be distracted by this other stuff. See, that's conviction. You're not ministering to your, your wife the way you should. And let me tell you how you're not ministering to her. Let me tell you what you can do to minister. That, that's conviction. Accusation is you're a lousy husband. That's an accusation. So when you hear the accusations, turn a deaf ear to it. But when you hear the conviction, listen and respond. The second thing that happens when I sin, I need to be aware that other people around me are hurt especially those closest to me. So sin in my life hurts those around me. My sins, well, it'll hurt my kids. It'll hurt my wife. And being a pastor of a church, if I were to have one of those gross sins out there and be unfaithful to my wife, I mean, that affects the whole church. David, uh, back in First Chronicles, he took a census of Israel. He counted. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a census except that God told him not to do it. So that made it wrong. The act itself was not wrong. It was the disobedience of being told not to do it that made it wrong. You see the difference? And, and, and so God told him not to do it, and David disobeyed, and as a result, as a consequence, Innocent people in Israel suffered greatly, some with their lives, because of one man's sin. And so in 1 Chronicles 21, 17, David said to God, I am the one who called the census. Yeah, I'm the one that disobeyed. I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. And what have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your anger fall against me and my family. But do not destroy your people. I've got a pastor friend that we were extremely close. And I was his youth pastor. And then he worked for me and we, we went to school together and and, well, he, he had a failure. And it's his kids have paid a, dearly for that. Very sad about that. The innocent ones suffer greatly. Another thing sin does, it hurts me and it destroys my happiness. You see, every sin I commit, every sin anybody ever commits, it has a harmful effect, it has a harmful effect on you. It affects you physically. It, you can physically get sick from sin. Now, listen, every time somebody's sick, sick, don't call them and say, hey, what sin did you commit? Don't do that, not how it works. But sin can make you physically sick. It can have an impact on you. Make, having sleepless nights. It can also impact you emotionally. You have fear and worry. 
And it affects you spiritually. You feel disconnected from God. In Galatians 6, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Don't try. It's not going to work. You will always harvest what you plant. And those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. He's talking to Christians now. <clears throat> you know, there are a lot of people who want to go out and sow their wild oats and then they pray for a crop failure. Grace doesn't work that way. Grace does not exempt you from the natural consequences of your foolish mistakes. I can choose to go out and get drunk and then go drive my car on the highway and lose control and die and worse, kill others. That's a consequence. That wasn't God's punishment. That was a consequence of a dumb decision. I, I can abuse my body, start smoking, and, and then wind up getting lung cancer. That's on me. That's a consequence. See, everything you do in your life has consequences, good and bad. And when we sin, Although it does not change anything in terms of my relationship with God, he still loves me. He still accepts me. He's not angry with me. He's very patient with me. <clears throat> he understands that I have an old sin nature that's still creeping around. He understands the struggle. And he still loves me. But he lets me face the consequences. A fourth thing about sin, my fellowship. Now, that's different. My fellowship with God is broken. Not my relationship, but my fellowship. Relationship and fellowship are two very different things. The relationship to God is, is not broken. That's based on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And he says, I, I have sealed you with my spirit. You are protected for all eternity. You will be in heaven. So your relationship with God is not affected. Your fellowship with God is very different. And you avoid God. A born again person cannot be unborn again. But the fellowship may be broken over and over again. So it's, it's, it's important that we understand the difference between approval and acceptance. Acceptance is not approval. God accepts you. That doesn't mean he approves of all your decisions. I can accept anyone. That doesn't mean I'm obligated to approve of their choices. And many families in our fellowship, in fact, a large portion of our fellowship, ha has been impacted by a family member who's chosen to live an alternative lifestyle. And you 
can accept that person. But that doesn't mean you have to approve of their choices. You can still love that person. You can still be friends with that person. You can accept them as a family member, accept them as a friend, but you're not ob obligated to approve. So God accepts you in spite of the things that you do. And he does not approve of the bad choices, but he still accepts you. So it's important that we understand the difference between those two and understand how that works. First John 1, 6, uh, it says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God and go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. So if I'm a believer and I know I'm over here making some bad choices, but I'm declaring that I'm in fellowship with God, God says, no, you're not. You're a liar when you say that. But if you're living in the light, as God is light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when I do walk in the light, then I have better fellowship with you and better fellowship with God. But when I say I'm walking in the light, but I've got this dark sin over here, I'm just a liar. And what you're seeing is not truth. So here's how you'll know if you're in fellowship with God. One simple word, joy. When you're in harmony with God, you are going to have joy in your life. You will feel joyful. <coughs> David, in Psalm 151, he wrote about he wrote this after he committed adultery. And here's what he said. Restore to me, talking to God. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Number five, when, when I sin, my usefulness to God is limited. God cannot use me effectively. I'm going to be an unproductive Christian if I allow sin to pile up. Uh, John 15, 4. Remain in me and I in you, and I will remain in you. Now watch this. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So I limit God when I choose to be disobedient. If you want to see fruit in your life, then you have to stay in tune with the Lord. You have to be in harmony with the Lord. If you want to know how you're doing, just look and see what kind of fruit's in your life. If there's no fruit, then there's no evidence of a relationship or fellowship, I mean. Number six, sin brings loving discipline from God. And now it's important to understand the difference, you know, to, uh, to understand the difference between discipline and fellowship. <clears throat> it's going to make 
it's going to make a difference on how you respond to God. So Hebrews 12, we're going to read that, uses the word punish, but the Greek word there is not the same word as condemnation. He's talking about discipline. Uh, Verse 5 of Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. It's not the word punishment. And don't give up when he corrects you. Don't give up when he lovingly corrects you. You want to raise insecure kids, then never discipline them. Every kid needs to have parameters, needs to have rules, needs to have walls. The most secure kids that I know, the ones that have a high self-esteem, are those who are brought up in homes with loving discipline. Loving discipline, different from punishment. And what's the difference between punishing your kid and disciplining your kid? Well, it's the word anger. When you punish, we tend to do it out of anger. But when we discipline, we do it out of love. God does not punish his children. He disciplines his children. One last thing. There's a loss of rewards in heaven. In the New Testament, there was a cult called the Gnostics. The word Gnostic comes from a Greek word that means knowledge. And the Gnostics were people who would say, yes, you need Jesus, but we have additional knowledge. Yes, you need the scripture, but we have more knowledge. And you know, so the idea of the Gnostics still live today. You have the Book of Mormon, Jehovah Witness Watchtower, additional knowledge. What he's talking about here, he's writing to Christians. He says, I don't want you to lose your reward. Don't get swept up in this cult that's trying to tell you there's more to it. So have you ever wondered what happens to a Christian who's born again and They fall into a cult. Maybe even they totally deny Jesus later. Do they lose their salvation? I I don't think so. They lose their rewards. And um, in 1 Corinthians 3, deals with that. He's talking about what happens when we, as believers, go to heaven all of our life's work is put in a pile, basically, and God's holy testing fire tests those works. And here's what he says. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames, it's almost like you feel the fire of hell on your backside as you're going in the gates of heaven. It's kind of like, oh my goodness. I lived for me, not for the Lord. I've missed out. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to live in a little shack in heaven while everybody else got a really nice mansion. You're not going to be in an outhouse or a pump tent. 
That's not what this is talking about. These rewards, they're blessings from God that we then in turn get to throw at his feet in honor and worship of him. And I want to have as many rewards as possible so I can throw them at the feet of Jesus in worship of him. To live a selfish life, to a life that's all about me, my life is just going to be a bunch of burned up cinders, a wasted life. I'll still be saved. But I would have missed out on so much. So here's how I want to close as the band comes out. I want to answer this question. What should I do when I sin? Well, first of all, remind yourself that Jesus has already paid the price for your sin. You don't have to pay the price again. It's already been paid. Secondly, confess. Confess that you messed up. Agree. Confession is agreeing with God. Agree with God. God, I know I'm saved, <clears throat> but I've been really selfish. It's all about me, and I confess that. I agree with you. I've been living for me. And then, and this is very important, accept his forgiveness. And forgive yourself. Accept God's forgiveness. And then forgive yourself. I, I think there are many of you that have a hard time doing that last one. You know intellectually, if you confess, God forgives you. You know that. But emotionally, you struggle with it. But pastor, I confess the same sin over again every day. It seems like I, my sin list never changes. Guess what? God's going to forgive you every day that you confess it. Maybe you haven't learned to forgive yourself. Maybe you're putting condemnation on yourself that God is not putting there. In fact, if you are condemning yourself, then you're listening to the accusations of the devil. That's what you're listening to. That's not from Holy God. He wants you to know forgiveness. I'll be at the front. You come. Maybe you need to say, I'm tired of playing games. Maybe you need to come pray by yourself. Come and do business with God. Confess and accept and forgive yourself. Father, thank you for the work you're going to do because of the work you've already done. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Thank you for that truth that sets me free from self-condemnation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand. You come.